Good morning. Such talentful youth, right? So it's always great to have them here leading us in worship and just being here in general as well. Love it. And so I'm Steve Blummer, one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, Pastor Neil and Christina are taking a couple weeks, I'd say off, but they've got their grandkids, so I don't think it's uh, restful and off as you might imagine. But uh, uh, we have just finished up a series through the book of Luke, and I think there was about 39 messages, 39 weeks that it took to get through the book of Luke, which isn't too bad considering there's 24 chapters, and some of those chapters got like 70 verses in there, and so it was hard to cover all that material, And uh, so, but we wrapped that up last week, and then in a couple weeks, we're going to start a new series through a smaller book, the book of Philippians in the New Testament, and it's about a seven or eight week uh, series, and so I encourage you to Stay tuned for that and maybe start reading it and getting fresh up or whatever it might be. And we're going to call that series Reset. We're using that as an opportunity for you to reset maybe some things in your life, but also to invite family or friends or coworkers or neighbors or whatever it might be to fill up the seats in here and give them an opportunity to do a reset with God. And so I encourage you uh, to, to pray about that as it comes up. Uh, I'll be able to bring the message to you this week and next week, and we're going to look at change. If we're going to do a, a reset, maybe there's some things that we need to change to prepare us for a reset. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at seven things that you might want to change when you're looking for change. And maybe life isn't as perfect as you want it or expect it. I won't have you raise your hand, but life may not be as you would want it or expect it. And maybe you're ready for change. Yes, bring on change. Or maybe you're said, hey, I've tried that change thing and nothing actually changed, so I don't want to change. I'm just going to leave it the way it is. And hopefully you haven't embraced life like the writer of Ecclesiastes who said that life is nothing more than meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, pointless, empty, chasing after the wind. Why are we even here? And you wake up the next day and you said, why, God, did you give me another laborious, lugubrious, I'm trying to use this word, lugubrious day. Lugubrious means a sad day. You know, you wake up and say, why, God, did you give me this lugubrious day? But God has given you a day for a purpose. And it's not to be sad. It's to be excited, filled with passion, filled with ambition, filled with purpose. And that's why God has given you another day. And I want you to think about, that's why I want change in my life. When we think about change, some change won't happen no matter how hard we try. Right? There's just some things in life that no matter how hard we want them to change, they're just not going to change. As matter how hard I try... I'm not going to look any younger. No matter how hard I try, I'm not going to get any taller. But there's lots of things in your life that you would love to see change, but the reality is they're not going to change. For some reason or another, God has not allowed that thing to change. And that may be very hard to accept. Some things, some change 
needs dramatic change in your life. Some things need dramatic changes. There's this uh, saying, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Squeaky wheel gets the attention, gets a little fixing. I add to that and say, or it gets replaced. Sometimes we just need to make dramatic changes. And we need to kind of overhaul everything. And to get something fully restored sometimes takes lots of time, lots of energy, lots of resources, and it needs drastic changes. Other times they're just small, minute adjustments that are just sufficient. Maybe a, a change of tone in your voice or the change of words that you use or changing up your schedule just a little bit and that makes sufficient changes that you need. Sometimes you and I, we don't like change. We like the way things are even if it doesn't work. We're used to it, so just leave it alone. And when we change those things, sometimes they can be intense change and that change hurts. Other times they're just irritating and frustrating. You finally figure out how to work the software at work and then they change it and overhaul something new, right? Ah, oh, so irritating, so frustrating. And so there's change that we just don't like. Sometimes change is good and necessary, it needs to happen. And then sometimes you and I need to fight against change. Things are changing and they're not the way they should be changing and so we need to stand up and argue and fight against that change, such as changing the gospel message or believing that Jesus is not God's son. All sorts of things that you and I need to stand up for if those things are going to change. But I want us to look at a bigger picture. What is the purpose behind change? If you're looking for change in your life, what's the purpose of change? What's the goal to change? Is it just to make you feel better? Is it just to make your life more comfortable? Or is there a greater purpose, a greater goal for change? And ultimately, you and I know that our goal in life is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so if we're going to make any changes in our life, I think they need to account that our goal would be how are we loving God better? And how are we loving others better? And so I want to look at seven things that you and I can change when we want to change with that lens. The first one is changing your pace. Changing your pace. Now, different seasons in life have different paces. Agree? This side said yes. This side is questionable. All right. So I'm going to work on this side a little bit more. Different seasons have different paces. I want you to open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. If you're using one of the Bibles and the chairs under, underneath you, this will be on page 587. 587. The book of Ecclesiastes is really written from a humanistic standpoint. When you look at the world, what do we see? What do we get out of it? In some places, it looks very pessimistic. In other places, it includes God's and praise God and all those kind of things. And so it's a very intriguing book. I'd encourage you to, to study it at some point. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 
starting in verse 1, says there's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now you and I need to accept and embrace that different seasons have different paces in your life. And there will be times in your life in which the pace is slower. And then there's times in your life in which the pace is very fast. The good news is that whatever stage you're in, if you're looking for change, the season that you're in won't last forever. As much as you might not be able to see the end in sight, the season that you're in will change whether you're ready for it or not. You may not be able to see it, but God says that there's an occasion and a time frame for everything. And so in one sense, you and I need to embrace the season that we are in rather than always looking for another season to come in the future that's yet to come or looking at the past and saying, I wish I had that season to embrace the season that God has planted you now. Because God has a purpose for your pace. You and I, we often base our pace upon our to-do list and our ability, right? We look at our list and say, I've got to get a lot of things done. And it's not going to take care of itself. I need to get going. I've got things to do. I've got to work. I've got to get going. And then we say, oh, I need a break. I need a vacation. I'm exhausted. Right? And so we change our pace based upon our to-do list and our ability, our own desire, rather than looking at, does God want me to change my pace or has he given me a pace in this moment for a reason? If God is really in control, then why did he have me in this current pace, this slowdown pace or this go-go pace? Maybe God is allowing you to have a slower pace in the season because he really wants you to spend more and more time with him and to fall back in love with him so that you really understand what it means to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and to really love your neighbor as yourself because as you're slowing down, you get to recognize what people are going through around you and you can come along their side more than if you were going super fast. Or maybe God has you at a faster pace in life because he believes in your capacity to show others his love and he wants you to be stretched and challenged and there's such a need. He's saying, now is the time to go. I can't have you slow down. The need is great. You're the person for it and so go. And so I believe that there is a purpose behind your pace. The question is, do you have purpose for your pace? Does your pace have purpose? There's going to be a time to go, and there's going to be a time to slow. 
One author used to write it as going at the speed of love. How do I know whether God wants me to slow down or he wants me to speed up? He'll base it upon the need of love around you. If the need of love around you means you need to get going and go faster, then you need to get up and go faster. If the, the speed of love around you is to slow down so that you can really dive deep into someone's life or to dive deep in your relationship with God, then that's the speed in which you need to go. Loving God and loving others. Second, I encourage you to think about changing your place. Changing your place. Of course, there's differences between our desire to change a place versus God's desire to change our place. And perhaps our goal of finding a new place is different than God's desire for you to find a new place. You and I, we could easily look at our place and say, the reason I'm unhappy in life is because of the place that I am. So if I could just change the place, then things would be better. If we could change our job, change the department, change our house, change our neighborhood, things would be different. And that might be true. Things definitely would be different, but maybe not better. Right? Because wherever you go, there you are. Maybe it's not about the place, but it's about you. Sometimes we need to think about changing our place. And sometimes God wants us to change our place Yet we're so comfortable or stubborn that we don't want to move our place. And God in the Bible always seems to be consistently calling his people to go, go, go here, go here, go, go, go. It's because changing your place is about leaving something behind and embracing something new. Leaving and changing your place is about leaving something behind and embracing something new. Think about through all the stories in the Bible. God told Abraham to go from the land he was, the Ur, and go to where? A land that I will show you. Where exactly is that? <laughs> Just go. I will show you. And so him and his family and everything, his possessions, they start traveling up north, and they reside in, the, in between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers, and they're there for several years. And God says, okay, go. That's not really the place, but I wanted to show you this place. It's great. Keep traveling. And they travel south through Canaan, the promised land, and it, it, they keep going. And then they check out and see Egypt, and then they come back around. God is always having Abraham on the move. He began to just show him bits and pieces, bits and pieces along the way, expanding his horizon, literally and figuratively. God called Abraham, go up to a mountain to make a sacrifice, and that sacrifice will be your only son. Why go all the way up to the mountain to make this sacrifice? Why go all the way up to a mountain to make this point? Why go all through this effort, all through this energy, extra time of worry and stress if God knew that he was going to provide a substitute sacrifice. Why the journey? Why the going? Jesus would often go up to a mountaintop to pray, and he could pray anywhere. He often prayed in all places, but he would go up to a mountain to pray. Why? Maybe it was a place where, that was more conducive to prayer, or it was simply where he could go Leave his worries behind and embrace something new as he came back down off the mountain. God called Moses 
Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, right? Now, God could have just taken care of Pharaoh, got him out of the picture, and told the Israelites, here, here's the country of Egypt. All is yours. They've been there for 400 years. He could have easily done that. He didn't want them to stay there. He wanted them to go. And they were very comfortable there, but that's not where they belong. And so they needed to head out on a journey. And they journeyed through the wilderness. The prophet Elijah called Elisha to join him. And Elisha burnt his plow, sacrificed his oxen as a symbol that he wasn't going to give him an opportunity to turn back. He was leaving something behind and embracing something new. God told Lot, get away from Sodom and Gomorrah. I was going to bring judgment. It's not the place where you need to be. Leave that place. Leave it behind and embrace something better. God told Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, eh, I'll go opposite direction. He endured some trials along the way. He eventually repented and then went to the place where God originally called him. But God is always asking people to go. Change your place. God told Joseph to flee to Egypt with Mary and the baby Jesus and then eventually had them go and go back to Galilee. Jesus was always on the move, on the go, going city to city to city. Paul wanted to go to Asia Minor to preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit said, nope, not now, nope, not now, nope, not now. And then go, I want you to go this other way. Go to Macedonia and spread the good news to Eastern Europe. Always on the go. God calls us to move Sometimes because we're in a place where we don't need to be there anymore. Jesus told his disciples to go into a town and to find a house of peace. And if they reject you there, move on. Move on to the next assignment. Lot needed to leave Sodom and Gomorrah because it wasn't a good place. You don't need to be there anymore. You need to get out of there. It's not good for you. Maybe we've done all we can in one spot and God's just sending us to the next assignment or we're in a spot where we don't need to be and God is saying, get out of there. I've got something better for you. And we may think that we have it great. We look at our place, we're like, this is wonderful. I would never want to leave this place. And God says, I need you to go. I need you to go. And sometimes he brings you to the place where he wants you. And other times he has you go on a journey, sometimes through the desert, to get to the place where he wants you to go. Why? Why does God do that? Why does God ask us to change our place? And I don't think God is always asking us to make dramatic changes in life. It's not always about just moving to a foreign place. Sometimes it's just making small changes of a place in our routine. Maybe it's just changing the place that we pray. You know, I always pray in here, but it's kind of routine. I don't really pray with passion like I want to. I'm going to change the place in which I pray. Or maybe it's just the place in which when we pray. Hey, I'm going to dedicate lunchtime, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to pray, or I'm going to spend that time, and I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to use a different place for a different purpose. And so we're creating that different place in our schedule in our life for something better. One of the reasons that I think God is always asking us to go and always on a journey is because any place on earth should be seen as temporary since heaven is our real home. He's always asking us to go because he doesn't want us to get too comfortable where we enjoy 
well, we're, we can enjoy the things of this world, but we're not supposed to fall in love with the things of this world to where when God asks us to go, we're like, oh, God, I love this more than I love your command. And so he's always asking us to go because he never wants us to fall in love with this world more than we fall in love with his mission. You and I need to remind ourselves that this is not our home. Heaven is our home. The earth is passing away. One day God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And that can be a little bit scary to think about changing our place. I've moved several times in my life and sometimes moved and had to create all new friends, all new relationships, all new routines in my life. And there's a couple verses that have stuck out to me through the journeys of the past. One is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you maybe have memorized that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Wherever God is calling you to go somewhere, to change your place, he's going to take care of you. Just trust in him. Acknowledge him. He'll make that path straight. He'll figure out where you need to go. And also Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. God's word is a light unto my feet. Oftentimes, we can't see very far where we, God wants us to go. It seems dark. We have no idea. where. We were always like, God, I, I'll go wherever you want me to go as long as you let me know all the details that's going to happen. We want to see far away, right? But God's word is just a light to our feet. All we can see is the next step. Okay, I'll go here. I'll go here. We're just going one step at a time wherever God leads, changing your place. And third, maybe we need to change our people, changing your people. Now, you might easily come up with a list. All right, let me think of a list of people I need to get out of my life. That was easy. It might be quick to come up with that list, and hopefully you're not on someone else's list, but you might be. But we can come up with a list of people that might be problems in our life, and life would be easier or at least different if they weren't around as much, and that might be true. However, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat that there are things or people that you and I need to be aware of. And that's because sin produces difficult people. Sin produces difficult people. No, all right, there's a couple of amens. They'll admit, hey, sin produces, you're difficult. Sin produces me, difficult. That was your opportunity. <laughs> sin produces, thank you, sin. I'm difficult. You're difficult. Your neighbor's difficult. Your spouse is difficult. Your parents are difficult. Your kids are difficult. Your coworkers, everybody's difficult because sin produces difficult people. Turn to Psalms chapter 1. If you still have your Bible, you just turn it over to the left a little bit. Psalm chapter 1. I'll get to the page so I can let you know where it is here. Psalms page 472 if you're using the Bible in the seats. I just want to look at the first verse. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. How happy 
is the one. You want to know how to be happy? He's telling you right here. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers? You want your life to be happy and a little bit less stressful? Don't hang around wicked people. Don't walk with them, hear them, follow them, sit with them, enjoy the company with them because they are going to tear you down. The whole book of Proverbs is full of references of people that you and I need to be aware of. People who do harm, criminals, who purposely break the law, they have no care for authority, they lack morals, liars, hypocrites, someone who's always right in their own eyes, they never do anything wrong, they never listen to counsel, they're fools who are full of arrogance and pride, they're angry individuals who never seem to be satisfied. There's no reasoning with them to find a peaceful resolution. They're irresponsible with money, and they even sap the joy right out of their own father and their own mother. And Proverbs is saying, watch out for those kind of people. Don't be around those kind of people. The New Testament says to watch out for those who want to cause division by creating some untrue and false doctrines about God or salvation or the way in which we live. They put burdens upon you. And you and I need to be united in fellowship with those who hold the same beliefs about God. And so that's why we encourage young people, don't get married to someone who is not a believer, who does not hold the same truths. Don't hang out with those who have bad character. Bad character corrupts good company. God says so in the Bible. As much as we think we can influence people, and as much as we are influencing people around us, they can also influence us sometimes unaware, and then we're in a spot where we didn't want to be. And so be careful the people you hang around with. Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Know this, difficult times will come in the last days, and I believe that we are in those last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, pleasures, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, holding the form of godliness. They look like they're good. They look like they're godly, but denying its power, avoid these people. Now, it might seem that when you go through all of these lists, there's no one left. Right? If God said, stay away from sinners, you couldn't even talk to yourself. What God is saying that you and I need to be wise about the level and the depth of our relationships. To guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. We need to not be so cautious that we push people away because we're so worried about what might happen that we're not really loving our neighbor as ourself. But we do need to be careful about the level and the depth of our relationships. And so here are my encouragements for you in this area. One, integrate with people who are full of truth and grace. Integrate with people who are full of truth and grace. The book of Proverbs mentions many times that the wise person is the one who hears correction and accepts rebuke. That is hard. For someone to come up to you and say, hey, I noticed something in your life 
and that's not good. That's really hard to accept. I mean, Moses, the great leader of Israel, was uh, having people come and he would hear all of their troubles and he would give them advice and discernment. And it was exhausting day after day of hearing all of these difficult people with their difficult problems come to him. And his father-in-law, Jethro, looked at what he was doing and then went to Moses and said, what you're doing is not good. Now, Moses could have said, who are you to tell me that it's not good? I'm the leader of Israel and I'm smart. And I think this is the best way. But he listened to him because he was wise. King David, the great king, he did some bad stuff. He had everything in his possession, but saw one woman that wasn't his and said, Ooh, I like her too. Got with her, figured out, oh, she was married. Let's get rid of the husband. Had him murdered at battle. They had a baby, and then the prophet Nathan came to King David and began to tell them the story about how a rich shepherd stole from a poor shepherd. And David, being a prior shepherd, was outraged. Let's find that man. Let's bring him to justice. And Nathan said, you are the man. God has given you everything. You're rich, and yet you stole from the poor. And David recognized his sin and repented. And he's known as a man after God's own heart. A wise person will hear correction and will accept rebuke. And that's hard to find someone who would do that in your life. Because oftentimes we might be able to see things and say, I don't want to get involved in that one. I'm going to keep that to myself. I'm not even going to share the truth. Or we have people say, oh, can't wait to show them where they messed up. And we want to tell them the truth. Well, we want to find someone who tells the truth and is full of grace. And that might be really hard to find. I encourage you to find someone like that. Someone who understands that we are all sinners. We are all difficult people. And we all need grace. And lastly, I'd say be the kind of person that you want others to be. Be the kind of person that you want to be around. And so you're nurturing those relationships around you. You're learning how to offer forgiveness because you want to receive forgiveness. You're learning how to love others because you want to be loved. You want to honor someone because you want to be honored. You respect others because you want to be respected. Be the kind of person that you want to be around. So sometimes it's maybe not about changing the people around us. It's changing the person we are. Sometimes it's not about changing the people around us. It's simply about changing the interactions with the people around us. We all have a purpose for the people in our life. God has a purpose. God has a purpose for your pace. He has a purpose for your place. And He has a purpose for your people. And so if we think about change, don't think of change just because it's your desire or it makes your life more comfortable, but that it would allow you to love God more deeply or to love others better. That's what I want you to think about when it thinks about changing your pace, changing your place, or changing your people. Let me pray, and we'll finish up the other set list next week. All right? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for just loving us, you know 
how difficult we can be because sin has made us difficult. You called us to a higher standard. You required us to, to change, to, to act according to the change that is within us. Ultimately, change comes from you. Sometimes, God, you put things in our life that changes our pace, allows us to slow down or seems like we're really busy. And, but you have a purpose for that. Help us to recognize the purpose for our pace. And help us to recognize if we need to make a change of pace, that there's a purpose for it. And to make that change according to those purposes, to love you better and to love others more. God, help us to think about the places in which we're at and the places that we might need to change. Change because they're, they're not good for us and we just need to, to leave so we can embrace something better. Or if you're asking us to go and we've been hearing you go, but we don't really like to hear how you want us to go because we're very comfortable where we are. God, help us to be open and willing to go wherever you call us. And also about changing our people. Not changing people just because they're difficult and irritating, but changing because we just we want to learn how to love you more. We want to learn how to love others more. And sometimes it's being around difficult people, but it's also maybe about changing ourselves. So help us reveal those things in our lives that need to be changed so that we could be ready to be reset by you. It's in your son's holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.